Welcome to the Lifesaver podcast. Tanya Reed, person extraordinaire. <laughs> we are husband and wife. We met way back a million years ago in high school, and we've known each other way over half our lives now and been together almost all of that. So I'm yeah. super, super lucky. Me too. <laughs> Where were you born? I was born in Oakland, California, but I only lived there like six months, and then we moved. Where'd you move to? To a um, professor's house in Moraga, California, because my dad was a professor at St. Mary's College there, and we lived... Where's Moraga? Moraga's close to Oakland. It's somewhere in the Bay Area. Okay. I'm not really sure. And then um, shortly thereafter, I guess, we moved to Berkeley. Berkeley. Uh, Berkeley. This is back in 69? Yeah. Roughly. Because I was born at the very end of 68. Yeah. Yeah. So we lived in Berkeley till um, through the end of um, our third grade. And then we moved. Dad got a new teaching job um, up in Ashland, Oregon. So we moved up there over the summer when we were actually out visiting my mom because they were divorced. So we moved to Ashland and we showed up on the first day of school late. <laughs> But it, it turned out to be one of my um, very, very favorite teachers. I think everybody's favorite teacher, Jimmy Stewart. <laughs> Jim Stewart. He was wonderful. Cool. He ended up marrying the fifth grade English teacher who we all love, too. <laughs> it was so romantic. <laughs> that is. Um, and so how did you like Ashland? Uh, I loved it. It was a lot nicer than the schools there were a lot. The elementary schools were a lot nicer and the town was a lot smaller. It's a lot less diverse than we were used to from the Bay Area, which was a change. But it was a nice college town. It's beautiful in the Rogue Valley there. I just fell in love with the mountains and the hills. And we had a wonderful house up on a hilltop that overlooked to the north. It overlooked like a just a hillside that ended up into like county land. And it was just Really nice. Like a castle on a hill. It was wonderful. Yeah, I actually remember that house. We met in Ashland in high school. Now, your your dad was teaching at, uh, at the time, it was Southern Oregon uh, State State College, college yeah. when we first moved up there. And then it morphed. Now it's Southern Oregon University. What else about Ashland? The Shakespeare Festival there? Mm-hmm. It's a nice kind of uh, mix of rural and college town mm-hmm. combined with Shakespeare festivals, so both rural and kind of, I don't know. Some culture. Yeah. Visitors from out of town. That was kind of one thing in the summer that wasn't awesome. As a person who lived there who wasn't dependent on business (laughs) during the summer was, you know, we'd be inundated with all these, you know, those Californians (laughs) (laughs) moving (laughs) or coming into town and swamp. Yeah. But, you know, I I understand that now as an adult, those people are necessary to the livelihood of a lot of the town. So, yeah. Now I showed up in ninth grade after traveling up and down (laughs) the West Coast (laughs) quite a bit. Um, I remember seeing you at the end of ninth grade. I don't think I was on your radar yet. You came in and talked to Mr. Preston, I think, mm. you and your sister. And I was like, oh, who are those girls? Full of sunshine. and <laughs> But not really on your radar. I had my own concerns because I was a teenager. <laughs> as you had your own concerns as a teenager. I think we both kind of look back on our high school years as, well, mine were possibly more fraught in certain ways than yours. But you were pretty popular, actually, uh, you're kind of a gregarious. Not just loud. <laughs> yeah. 
you're kind of gregarious and people like you. I'm more introverted. People don't like me. <laughs> <laughs> no, just kidding. But um, yeah. I'm more of a people pleaser than you are. You can say people that person way. or however okay. you want to say it. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so I did my thing for a couple of years and then Junior year, we started to, the end of junior year, I think we started to get to know each other a little bit. And I think maybe that was when the group of like the right. 20 odd people kind of mixed. That summer after Some junior seniors year, and juniors started hanging out. Yeah. The summer after junior year, we did a lot. And then I wrote you letters when you mm-hmm. went to visit your mom. Yeah. I saw um, And then we got together the following year, senior year, mm-hmm. after you got back and everything. That's sort of the beginning of our story. What do you want to talk about? This is Lifesavers, so life, the universe, and everything, or anything. Yeah, I I guess on my mind lately has been, you know, the kids. So Cody is has just graduated not quite a month ago, and Tati's going to be a senior. And I had very much wanted to be a parent for as long as I can remember. And then we had to wait, you know, a super long time. We waited like 14 years, I think, to become parents, which overall ended up being a good thing. It just was really hard, you know, when you don't know what the end is going to, you know, when it's mm-hmm. going to, the waiting is going to end. It's, yeah. it's the uncertainty. Yeah. yeah. But I'm trying myself, I'm kind of at a, approaching a crossroads with my career potentially. And, you know, there, we're going to be empty nesters in maybe another year or so, because Cody's going to be doing this online film program. And so he'll be sticking around here for almost a year, I guess. And then, you know, Tati's got to finish her last year of high school. But then she's probably going to go off to college. So I find myself frequently when I'm free to think, um, (laughs) because I'm busy a lot, but my thoughts turn to now what? You know, what's going to be the next evolutionary step here? Mm Mm-hmm. For me and for us as a family, you know, what's that going to look like? So I'm, I, I know I'm hardly the only person to go through this. Everyone goes through this when their kids are this age. And part of it's exciting. Part of it I look forward to. But now I'm going to start crying. <laughs> but it, it is uh, an emotional, yeah, emotional time. Big you know, transition. I think for the past so many years, you know, we've just been, I think like a lot of families that are, you know, you're busy working and raising kids, you just, you know, kind of put your head down and get through every vortex of issues and you just, you know, the good and the bad and whatever, you just keep going. But you're still, you know, I just um, have loved having that identity as a mom and as a, you know, partner with you and as a a family of four. And it's just really hard to see that start to, you know, break up in different ways. Obviously, I know the kids must go up and out and and I do want that for them, of course. It's just bittersweet. Mm Mm-hmm. And I, I think they're going to be ready. I think they're looking forward to it. Yeah. But I don't think either one is like really chafing at the bit too much to get out of here yet. <laughs> as far as we know. As far as they tell us. They're pretty quiet about it. <laughs> Probably pretty nice about it. <laughs> they're, pretty, they're pretty awesome. But Yeah. So, yeah, big life changes coming up. Um, you're talking about, you know, thinking about what you might want to do now that, I mean, this is a huge goal and purpose for you was to have kids and raise kids. Um, so as that, you know, sort of 20 year thing, you know, kind of winds to a close, you start pondering, well, what should I look towards next? You know, what yeah. am I fascinated with? What am I interested in now that that's stage is kind of yeah 
Closing up. And I know, you know, there's grandkids in the future, I hope, but that has to be quite a ways out. You know, I want the kids, they've got so much growing and living mm-hmm. to do, you know, that's, that needs to be a ways off. But, um, so I know I can I, hear your, your lambs in the background. Maybe that's, <laughs> you know, I'm going to have to have lots of, <laughs> lots of babies, <laughs> animals. Comfort animals. To fill the, fill the need. So what do you have right now? We got, we got Jake, the dog, Jake, golden lab. But he's 10 and he's, and then we've got, he's um, a little man. Cat we, that comes in and out. Yeah, we've got, Jojo. Um, we have four sheep. Four sheep. So there's Finn, who is a ram, and yesterday I was about ready to just send him off. Because <laughs> he's a boy. Because <laughs> he's a guy. And I had food in my hand. It was my fault. Every time I get in trouble with him, it's because I've got food in my hand but and I'm inside keeps, the pasture. Which he is, keeps butting you. Yeah, that's my bad. Well, this time he didn't get to me, just my hands. Yeah. But um, still. And then anyway, then we've got an older you and then two little lambs we picked up. I, I'm kind of feeling like I'm kind of done having a ram around. So, you know, after this fall, I may be ready to just, if we need if we need more little sheep, we'll just buy babies, you know, in the spring if there's a year mm-hmm. we need some. Yeah. Because I'm uh, well, it was, kind of uh, over. It's been a good, good experience for you, though, yeah. going through the full process of, um, you know, birthing a lamb. Yeah. And, that was like on my bucket list. I really wanted to yeah. see that. But, um, yeah, I, I'm just, I'm getting too old and thinking too slow and just too ornery that I, I don't want to deal with, uh, and t- hurt too many times. Yeah. <laughs> just, just, I don't want to deal with all the complications, the testosterone or whatever it is. Yeah. Yeah. Cause cool. the girls are all super sweet and don't act like that. Yeah. So. Shockingly. Yeah. <laughs> and then we have a bunch of chickens. I think there's 11 right yeah. now. Which are and primarily then, Tatiana's. Yeah. But they'll probably become mine again. So. Yeah. Um, and then there's, of course, all the wildlife that comes through the property. Yeah, I saw a deer and its mother the other day. Yeah. I mean, a fawn and its mother. Mm-hmm. I love it out here. Yeah. I love it. It's kind of this little private little wonderland, especially in the summer. Like right now, it's a summer afternoon and it's July 4th. And, um, you know, the sun's coming through and everything's green and blooming and beautiful. And I just love it. Summer's my favorite season. Yeah. That's why I love like the blue skies, and yeah. I think most people like summer. Maybe I don't know. I could probably like spring and autumn. They're really beautiful, but um, they I, are. I get a little too hot in summer. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I mean, we're always little... hot. Maybe. <laughs> um, Ew. <laughs> kids are listening to this. You might want to mute this. Um, but we've come a long way, baby. Yep. Um, yep. You know, we had kind of theoretical dreams for our future when we were like 17 or whatever. You should tell our story. No, you should. Okay. So we met, as we were saying earlier, so we we met in high school. We started dating, I think, like maybe January, February of senior year, like officially. And then um, we went to high school graduation together. And then shortly before graduation happened from high school, because we were both seniors at that point. Um, this was back in 1987 in Ashland. You had said, well, you know, and I was like, wow, I'm finally going to be home for a summer <laughs> before college. Because up until that point, every summer I was going to my mom's per the custody agreement. So I was like, I'm going to be home. <laughs> and, you know, how awesome. And I can stay here with you and my friends for summer before college begins. And you said, well, 
actually hold that thought because you didn't say it like that, but I don't remember what you said exactly, but you were leaving for Texas and to go see the world in two weeks. Yeah. Texas is the world. It was a stepping stone to yeah. trying to have an adventure in the world and learn what the world was for a year. And you had a grandmother there and went and stayed with her and worked and saved money. Briefly. Yeah. Then you went off on your journey to New Zealand and stuff. Anyway, so on the day you were leaving, which was June 15th, that was two weeks after you graduated, June 15th, 1987, we made a pact that we would find you, because we were still very in love, and but we both had to go do our thing that we were going to do. So we made a pact to meet up again somehow in five years on that night, five years hence. And even if we were married to somebody else or whatever, we would get together, find each other and, and have dinner. It doesn't sound very realistic, but it was very romantic yeah, and it kind of right. helped. We're 17 yeah. <laughs> or 18 for you. I was 18. But yeah, it kind of helped, I guess, the the pain. And then, um, or prolonged it, I don't know. <laughs> well, it was also, I. that's how I kind of look at life as sort of like a story and Kind of like a movie, like, you know, oh, you know. It was so romantic. They get back together after five years. It's one of those movies. Um, I yep. just I always look at life that way, I guess. And and that is what ended up happening. Um, I went that fall to Chicago, to the University of Chicago. You went traveling the world and to the far seas. You went, like, to Fiji and New Zealand and Hawaii. Worked on cruise, well, two different cruise ships, one in the Seattle area, one in the Hawaii area. And then, uh, unbeknownst to her, uh, when I got off the cruise ship, I uh, went to Chicago, and I had applied to University of Chicago. That was the only school I applied to <laughs> because I knew she was going there. But I didn't tell her because I didn't want to, you know, I didn't want to freak her out or pressure her or anything. But I knew she was the one I wanted to be with. Um, and then I got accepted, and uh, I found out I was accepted while I was hitchhiking through New Zealand. <laughs> It was like a high point in my life. Still have pictures of it. And then, uh, then... So you came that fall. So you were like a year after. I came back from Hawaii. And then, yeah, that fall of 88, mm -hmm. I started college at University of Chicago. Yeah. But we didn't really get back together no, we, right away. We kind yeah, of... Yeah, there was complications, but... I was being an idiot. And no, no. You were head to You were exploring down. life, too. <laughs> <laughs> you had your nose to the grindstone and... Really did awesome. And so I ended up taking some a couple quarters off to go see the world in Hyde Park <laughs> and <laughs> work in a restaurant. Went to go see real life uh, working nine to five. As um, a waitress. That's a, yeah. All their stupid jobs. And then realized, oh my God. Maybe I, I must, should go back to college. <laughs> I, really, I really must get out of here and get that degree. So I came back to school. You were on an accelerated but plan because we you were kind just, of started getting back together yeah in senior year i can't remember it I might have been either. it was during like registration for uh, yeah something. I, I think it was spring of junior year actually so towards the end of yeah. junior year um we started to see each other and just like hey you know how's it going and then we just, started uh, talking start talking hanging out sharing ideas and stuff and, and then we were you know really together we decided yep this is probably going to be it. And then we went, let's see, by that point, it was coming up on March of 92. You were ready to graduate a little bit early and I was graduating a little bit late, but it was at the same it time. Ended up being yeah. the same time. <laughs> it was perfect. So we graduated and that was in March and we were living in an apartment building downtown Chicago. 
we're out our back window. I think we're on the, like the 19th floor of whatever that building was called. And you could see the Sears Tower, which now is renamed something. Yeah, but before that... Uh, oh, you lived with the guys, huh? Well, you lived in that tiny little apartment in Southside Chicago. Mm. And uh, I asked you to marry me. Yeah. Um, and that was before I knew I had a job at, <laughs> at Morningstar. Um, and so I was proud of myself that I did something not knowing with certainty in my future. <laughs> <laughs> I usually like certainty, uh, but that was very brave of me. And you gave me that little the gold ring, and it said, I love you, Eric, on the inside of it. And yeah. That was awesome. And we set a date. We were going to get married months, take a few months over the summer and get things planned. But my dad, just the way things were working out, we ended up getting married. Um, well, that was around February or March that I proposed mm-hmm. to you. And then we graduated. 92. Yeah. And my first thought was, hey, we should get married on June 15th because that would be the five years Mm -hmm. uh, since we left. But it was almost June 15th, but not quite. Yeah. So we ended up going out to dinner June 15th. We kept our our pact that we had made five years earlier. And we went to dinner at one of our, you know, favorite Mexican places. And we got married a week later on the 21st, which was also Father's Day. And we, that ended up being the day we got married because my dad was coming back from teaching abroad in Poland and he was coming, his flight was coming back through O'Hare on that day. So he extended the layover so he could attend the wedding. Which yeah. we got married at my mom's house in uh, West Lafayette, yep. Indiana. Yep. So it was a, the longest day of the year. That's one reason I like. I don't mind it being the twenty first. It's the longest day. <laughs> 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 uh-huh. <laughs> All right, the irony. Yeah. But but I just I loved that symbolism of it. And and um, yeah. Anyway, so well, we got the most the most daylight, the most sunshine. Yeah. 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 Then we stayed in Chicago another three or four years. That long? Well, I worked at Morningstar for a couple of years. Yeah, and I and, worked at the library still. And we're like, okay, enough of, this, enough of this city stuff. And uh, this was back in the days when uh, it was 94, was it roughly, that I was thinking of uh, telecommuting because they had this mm-hmm. new thing called the internet. <laughs> um, and I was one of the first telecommuters for Morningstar. Yeah. And they trusted me. And um, so we were able to move to Flagstaff. Yes, because we we wanted we knew we wanted to get out of the Midwest to get away from the city um, and city life. And we were kind of heading back towards California, but we were kind of spooked west coast basically yeah somewhere not back. exactly california. We, we still thought california is too much crime and you know traffic anybody who doesn't live in california has this idea of california is just this disaster zone of crazy people but so we had lived in chicago long enough to be brainwashed to think that although parts of it are true but um <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it's not as bad as that and then we we went and checked out flagstaff on a well we checked out arizona yeah we started in, like the hottest places tucson. phoenix and no we tucson. started in tucson, tucson down south. phoenix opened the car door it was summer or no no it was actually not summer i think it was in uh winterish I, spring we I were think checking it was them out just hella hot and though. we opened the car rental car door and it's like an oven it was just like oh Maybe not. <laughs> so we we tooled up to uh, Flagstaff. And that reminded us both, I think, of Ashland yep. in so many ways. Yeah, we really great ways. The, the mountains and the hills. And, and there's a university there. and Pine trees. And, it was yeah. just gorgeous. Kinda, yeah, like a small college town. Yeah. And we bought a little house. Our um, first house we ever bought. Total money pit, of course. <laughs> But we, I was just beyond in love with it. Yeah, and um, that was really pretty. Yeah. And we got our first dog. We got Ruby. 
from yeah. a neighbor, kind of a weird neighbor. And yeah, so we were only there like, what, a year and a half or something. And pretty soon yeah. um, you got the screenwriting bug and we ended up um, visiting Hermosa Beach. I had thought and- before I figured out Lifesaver that um, I'd wanted to be a fiction writer. Uh, whether at first I thought it was uh, writing stories and novels. And then I figured, you know, what I really like is movies and that kind of thing. And so I spent uh, three or four years with uh, screenwriting as my goal, starting out briefly in Flagstaff. And then I was like, well, if you want to make it in screenwriting, you need to go to Los Angeles. And so that was a big reason that we moved to Los Angeles. And that's in Flagstaff is where I had I had just found out about Montessori right. from your mom, actually, yes. who gave me that book that I still have called How to Raise a Brighter Child by Joan Beck. I'd never heard of Montessori anything. I didn't know what it was or who she was. Or and you are, you have been a Montessori school teacher now. Yeah, almost um, 30 years, I think. Like since roughly 95. 28 or something years. So, yeah. And so I yeah. just walked into a, since when I moved to Flagstaff, you were telecommuting and I was unemployed. I'd stopped working for the Trout Brothers. And so I saw there were some Montessori schools in the town. And so I walked into one and said, hey, can I just hang out and see what it's like? And they said, sure. And so I watched it and fell in love. I know now looking back, it, that particular school was particularly too Montessori. But to me, it was just, I was instantly hooked. And so I had just started, I ended up getting a job in just a few days with them and working around and in, in, um, several of their campuses and just kind of work, you know, basic assistant stuff, fell in love with it and started, just had started the process of doing an online training, a correspondence training course for Montessori. And then we decided, oh, we're going to move to Los Angeles and sell the house. So we suddenly did that. I was not excited to go to Los Angeles. I was like, I really wanted to stay and have the house and start a family and start teaching and, you know, do that. But we ended up, we made a few changes and repairs to the house and turned right around and sold it, I think, for exactly what we had paid. I made a little bit of a profit. Maybe. But that was luck. And I think it was Um, only on the market like 11 days or something. It was a miracle. And we got out before winter. Which was right. really important because it was it was just crazy cold in the winter. Remember, we were in bed in the winter in the bedroom upstairs, yeah. and we could see our breath. Yeah. <laughs> it was so cold in that house. It was a very inefficient house. So you mentioned uh, the Trouts. Let's go back in time a little bit, back to Chicago, and talk about that adventure. So while I was working for Morningstar, analyzing mutual funds. Yeah, I was working at the time at a. Um, library job, which I really liked at the University of Chicago um, Library. And our friend, um, actually, he was your friend first. He had also been a grad and he got a job for these um, two brothers who were running Trout Trading Company. Monroe Trout was the owner. And then his brother, Tim Trout, also worked there. Tim Trout, the younger brother, was looking for a personal assistant because his was leaving. So I went in kind of reluctantly for, I think, three different days of interviews. They they wanted someone, you know, they could thoroughly trust because you're in a, you know, sensitive, Mm -hmm. you're you're all in someone's business, literally, and their house. And, um, you know, they need to make sure you're not, they need to make sure it's going to be a good fit. I, I actually really enjoyed the interview process. 
there were just a lot of really interesting questions. I, I just thought it was fun to answer, you know, but I didn't really want the job. I didn't think I could do it. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> and they kept trying to talk me into it. So finally, after I think it was three days, it was at least two different days, I accepted they expanded it to full time and it was going to be paying me a lot more money than I was currently making. And I just was like, okay, I'm going to jump into, you know, this world of finance, not I wouldn't have much to do with that. You know, I wasn't like going to be a commodities trader or anything like that, which is what they did. Um, but it was definitely a totally different world than I'd ever been exposed to. I'm very glad I had the experience. They were, you know, very good to me, to us. I got to travel. We worked. And you get to see, you got to see what um, rich world lifestyle is like. Yes. Um, so the pros and the cons. Exactly. So you know what you are and are not missing right. by not living that lifestyle. Right. And, you know, that was really an important um, experience. Very, It was only, I think, just over a year, I want to say, I, that we stayed there. Mm -hmm. I can't remember. Yeah, we, I got to, um, the, the company wanted to explore working out of the United States. So they had, they were setting up offices up in Toronto. So various people would go um, and work out of the Four Seasons up in Toronto, including me, like if if Tim, who I was assisting, if he went to Toronto, and sometimes even if he didn't, I would go up and take care of various things up there. And they also had a um, an offshore office down in Bermuda. And so we got to fly on their company jet, <laughs> which was just <laughs> the Learjet, you know, and like, you know, the one of my jobs was, you know, at a moment's notice, I wore my little pager 24-7. And anytime it was 911 on the pager, you know, I instantly had to contact him. You know, this is way before yeah. real cell phones and stuff like that. So this is the early 90s. Yeah. So. so you had to know where all the, you know, phones were and pay phones and stuff like that. But um, yeah, included in my duties were like arranging his travel and doing all kinds of, you know, just the daily living things for them, for him. But yeah, sometimes it was, hey, you know, call the, and I forget the pilot's name right now, um, but, you know, I would have to call the pilot and say, okay, I need you in the morning or in a few hours. We're going to head over here. You know, that's pretty heady stuff when you're like in your early 20s. At least it was for yeah. me. It was a very different. from a small college yeah, town in super Oregon. Super different lifestyle. <laughs> Raised by a single dad, yeah. And there's one time, you know, I, f I was the only passenger on this whole airplane down to Bermuda. And it's just, it's very surreal. Yeah, they, they were very good to us, I think, to, you know, take care of us and made us a lot of good offers. But in the end, we were really ready to pivot. I hate using that word now, but to, you know, make a different change and go a different direction. Well, what, was some, what were some of the uh, things you didn't like about that lifestyle? Um, I'm not at liberty probably to say some of the stuff that I was yeah. really the most stressed by. I don't by. want you to have to kill me if you tell yeah. me. So. <laughs> um, it just became, we'll say, um, too high stress and maybe just leave it at that. It, a little bit like a thriller movie. Yeah. That you don't want to live through. <laughs> it was, yeah. It was. It, you might want to watch it, but you don't want to live through it. Yeah. Yeah, it did become like a, a movie. Very exciting, very fast-paced. Asset protection, security guards. Um, <laughs> I remember... Breaking laws in different countries and, yeah. I, I went down, um, I, but I did get to do some amazing things. And like I, I traveled to Europe to do some business you know, on my own on 
Tim's behalf, which was very, I'd been to Europe with my dad and my sister as a teenager, but this was very different. And I just, you know, I just completely felt like a total imposter and didn't have any idea what I was doing. And you just smile and, you know, I'm going into all these businessmen's offices and, you know, some of them, some of them were very wonderful and some of them were not. And just seeing that world, like I remember I went into the, I met with someone in the World Trade Center. Um, I got to see the trading floor. So loud. Oh my God. All those guys yelling at each other, you know, as you see on the news, in the evening news, you know, everybody yelling when they're doing the stock report or something. It was, it was pretty cool. And I had a special trip down into the bank vault of uh, some bank on Wall Street. And I remember, you know, I was all dressed up and I had a trench coat over my arm and I was being ushered in by whoever the tour guide was. You know, they're forced to bring this idiot around to go see these cool things. And I'm sure they had many better things to do. But um, this big security guard guy, when I was going to be going into this vault where they had silver bars and gold bars and stuff. He said, you know, I'll take your coat. And I said, oh, that's okay. You know, I, I can hold it, you know, because I was being a big girl. And he's like, no, no. I'll take your coat. <laughs> I felt like such a rube, which I was, you know, it's just like, God. <laughs> You're going to slip a gold bar in your coat. We know it. <laughs> so, you know, it's like, you just have to kind of get through it and like, oh, oh well. me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I, I had meetings in New York and had, you know, meetings in different places in Europe. And that was just phenomenal and um again super stressful but really good experiences to let me know you know just kind of expose you to what else is out there and yeah ultimately it was became very clear to me like I don't want to be part of this I want to do something else I don't know what and then we decided to move so yeah. well there were two things that stand out in my memory well a lot of things from the the trout period um I was working at Morningstar at the time, but um, I was involved in some of the things that you were doing. Uh, one was basically caretaking or looking after mm-hmm. your boss's apartment, which was basically on the roughly on the top floor like of the this 60th building. Sixtieth or sixty first or something. Uh, it's almost like the entire top floor of this um, building that was the same height as the the Hancock mm-hmm. Tower, which was right across from us. I'd never. That was pretty insane. It, it was, <laughs> The, the amount of wealth was just the living in that situation it was just bizarre kind of cool but then it, the coolness is kind of like well i guess it's not that cool really once you get used to it it's like okay so there's that but is that it i mean that's what all that money you know because you get used to it so fast um then the other thing i remember is bolting our door so we don't have to get into details, but in my memory is uh, something happened and um, we were in fear of our lives because of an individual, you know, putting uh, a block with a ramrod underneath the doorknob, putting all sorts of traps in our hallway and rattles and stuff and having a butcher knife by the bed. And I remember that. That was you know. that was at the end. That was, that was uh, one of the deciding factors. So that's, that was one of the thriller moments that you... You like watching on TV, but you don't really want to live through. So yeah, it got pretty intense. Yeah. yeah. So that's part of the reason we decided, you know, you were going to be able to telecommute, which was, like you said, a new idea um, to this wonderful job you had at Morningstar. Um, you're going to be able to take that with you to Flagstaff. So I needed to find what I was going to do. And that's where, yeah, your mom, Chris, had given me this book and I read it and I just fell in love with the whole idea of Montessori heard about this Montessori school and 
Flagstaff and got started. Yeah, teaching. And and when you look back with 2020 hindsight, it's sort of obvious, like you were built for teaching, especially uh, young kids. But at the time, it was like a new, mm-hmm. you know, is this right for me? And then it was sort of like, wow, this really is right for me. Yeah. Well, I was so afraid. I'd always stayed away from the idea. I've always loved little kids, but I just doing daycare, which is all I knew as the alternative, um, would just make me cry my eyes out and with boredom. I mean, yeah. I, I just couldn't imagine. It didn't appeal to you because it wasn't yeah. really, you're not really teaching. You're just, you know, it's like a little prison. You're taking, you know, yeah. making sure the kids don't get in trouble. That's And all. I think too, coming from, you know, a whole bunch of family members who are educators, no one taught early childhood, but I kind of wanted to find my own path and not be a teacher. I, I knew I kind of didn't want to be a high school teacher or college or anything like that. And so I just kind of wrote off teaching altogether and was like, well, I'm just going to kick around and I don't know, you know, wander and didn't know what I was going to do with myself. And then when I heard about Montessori, I just was like, oh my gosh, I could teach and it's the most amazing thing. And I could have, you know, the little people. So yeah, so that started my journey there. I'm super glad I, I, I've, I've felt many times in my life, there were periods when there's like, you know, a giant red arrow hanging in front of me mm-hmm. saying, oops, saying, you know, go this way or, you know, this is the moment. Go this direction at this yeah. fork. It was so clear. That's what's so fascinating about life, how it evolves kind of organically. And, you know, what's really fascinating is often the things you don't, I mean, it's kind of a cliche, but, you know, you don't you don't plan on. There's kind of a confluence of what you're learning from reality as you're experiencing it. And then, um, and then, suddenly there's like this turn that happens or this arrow mm-hmm. that shows up because of all these things that you've experienced mm-hmm. and gone through. And you're at a certain point in your life where it's suddenly, oh, oh, this could actually be something. And you don't, you're not following those paths that you followed in order to get to that place. But nevertheless, that place shows up because you went through all those things. Yeah. And Funny enough, our friend Dave also ended up being key. So, you know, he was the connection for me to the trout job. So Dave, again, he had left there and moved to Hermosa Beach, California, because he also was ready for a a change in his life. And so we went out there. We ended up renting a little uh, one-bedroom bungalow, like this little post-war bungalow in Manhattan Beach, which mostly was a very well-off area full of McMansions, but we were like one of the last blocks that had tiny houses. Dave ended up being um, an entree for me into a Montessori school there. He knew a, a woman who was a teacher there. And so that school ended up being like a four block walk from this little house. <laughs> yeah. And it's just like, this is meant to be. And I, perfect, yeah, yeah. I walked in and I applied for a job and, and they needed someone right then. And so I was able to you know, to walk in and and um, walk into a job. I mean, you know, it's like right there. And um, so I think I worked there, I don't know, eight years or so. Well, I, and you and got your certification while you were there. Thanks to you, because I kept dragging my feet and doubting myself. And But that was a real commitment that you did, um, you know, going into that official certification program. Yeah, for- I loved my training. I loved Joy and Charles, the owner, Joy and Charles Turner. And then they're director of all things was um Kathy Smythe and I just fell in love. she was she was very like um she reminded me of Katherine Hepburn. Mm-hmm. She just she didn't look like Katherine Hepburn, but she had the energy and the attitude and the spunk and the spirit. And I just 
I had such a, you know, a girl crush on her. I just wanted to be her. She mm-hmm. was just amazing, this life force. And and Charles, too, was uh, just a, a very, he and I butted heads initially, and then we very quickly came. He kind of called you out. He did, um, and I needed it. Yeah. And Well, we all need that sometimes. And that was one thing I really value about that training, was that they really focus on not just materials and things, but on you, the teacher, and mm-hmm. your character, and getting to know yourself, and what are, you know, are there any things that are going to be in the way, or anything that, you know, you need to strengthen, or here's some things you're awesome at. And I just, I just totally felt at home, and supported, and it just was the best experience ever. I just, I, I don't even know if they're really still running anymore. Charles passed away. Kathy must have retired years and years ago. I did run into her at a, a Montessori conference in San Diego years and years ago. We'd already oh, yeah. moved up here. That's right. And I just, she was like, I remember she said, like, oh, you're all grown up. And I was like, wasn't I when I <laughs> met you? But I wasn't, you know, I was still a young thing when I first met her because I was like 28, I think, when I started the training. And now that, you know, I have assistants that are that age and I'm like, you're such a baby. <laughs> <laughs> and she's probably, when I met her, Kathy was probably around the age we are, you know, we're 53. So you're you're almost 53 in a few days. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but thanks yeah. for reminding me. Yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't care. Birthday, um, birthdays are a privilege, denied to many. That's so. very true. Yeah, and uh, so at that time I was um, working Morningstar, and uh, then uh, I explored, I was trying to figure out what I really wanted to do, because I, I decided it wasn't exactly screenwriting, but I knew I it had something to do with life. You took a lot of classes. But it was still a vague notion. I didn't know if I wanted to be a photographer or an artist or, or a writer or what. And so I did a lot of experiential experimenting in this little community college. and Photography, I did some photography. And um, and what I finally, through a lot of introspection, came up with after a couple of years is, is something about communicating the value and beauty of life to people some sort of inspirational thing along that path. But it was, uh, it was a very um, embryonic stage of Lifesaver. And then I finally came up with it. Since the internet was pretty much going by that time, it's about 97, 98, I started to look into website design and I suddenly realized, oh, you could have an entire concept of what I later called Lifesaver under the umbrella of a website. It could be a place where you could just have all of that kind of stuff, you know, selling stuff, talking about stuff, creating stuff for it. Uh, so this is the period when you were really, uh, you were really getting deep into teaching Montessori uh, there in California, mm-hmm. in Los Angeles. And I was figuring out, you know, who I was and what I most wanted to do. And so you were definitely there for the birth of the Lifesaver concept. Yep. And you remember my struggles with... <laughs> trying to figure out what what do I want to do in my life? You know, it's a really uncertain period. So um, anybody who's going through those periods, you know, keep going. It's worth it. Anyway, back to you. We were both exploring life in LA. I loved surfing there. That's something <laughs> I still miss. But um, we got to the point eventually where we decided we wanted to have kids. Mm-hmm. And we did not want to have kids in Los Angeles. <laughs> no. And so, take it away. Uh, so we started researching, like, well, where are we going to go now? And I remember just being so full of excitement and and just deliriously happy because now it's really going to start 
because that's what I really had wanted. It was so hard being a teacher of this age of kids and not having my own. And like my friends were, you know, having babies and it's just like, I'm excited for them. And then it was hard. And so anyway, I was really excited. And so we looked around and around that time, your mom, Chris, came down to visit us on some visit from somewhere she'd been. And she was saying, hey, there's this little town up in Washington and it's got some really cool people she was telling us about. And there's this little property. Now, your mom had up until that point been a very... A gypsy. Well, <laughs> she's she's always been a traveler. Like you were you were moved constantly pretty much as a child. Um, she, she was a professional artist, a sculptor. So they moved wherever they could do art. Uh, and, and so sometimes it was down in artist colonies. Sometimes it was wherever it was cheap to live. So, yeah. Yeah. You moved 16 times by the time you were 16, I believe. And then when you ended up in Ashland, you ended up staying there like for a few years. A few years. And that was yeah. like your long, one of your longest times you parked anywhere. Yeah. But um, so she, I remember we were at some restaurant with her and she was showing us photos of the property that she was considering buying. It was, you know, going to be a really good deal because it was being repossessed or something. It was just or, up in Washington State. Up in Washington State, and there were a lot of these great artists and and um, like minded folks she had met and really enjoyed. And she's like, you know, asking our thoughts. And so she ended up buying the place where we are now when we were ready to leave. Um, oh, and here's our date again. We left Los Angeles and drove. North. I think we had a big moving truck packed to the gills. And then we had, you drove that and I drove, and I think you you towed your little blue Honda behind. And then I drove our car with, I think you had the dog in the truck cab with you, our black lab. I had a cat in there too. Ruby. And you had the, no, I think I had the cat and the I bunnies. Had, no, I had a cat. You had the cat and Ruby. The most horrific sound I've ever heard <laughs> in my life while I'm driving. <laughs> and then I had bunnies in the back seat and all this stuff. Anyway, so it was quite the caravan. Isn't that when we stopped in um, Ashland on the way north from LA up here to Shelton? I'm pretty sure I saw my dad on that visit because there's a lot of stuff that was going on with him prior to that. Yeah. But um, that was, we pulled into town here on June 15th. Yep. And... There's that special day. Special day. So that was in 2003. 2003. And so we we kind of parked the moving van full of our stuff and set our bags down. And um, we were going to just have a quick stop and then go look around where to live. And your mom, Chris, took us on a, I think, a couple day trip up around the peninsula here. And we looked at all the like Port Townsend, and we just kind of saw the sights and saw the whole area. We had been up like for an overnight back in February when it was just uh, yeah. so nasty weather. We do scouting trips first. So it was, um, yeah, we came up to take a look at our property. Um, and we're like, yeah. In the cool. area. And, yeah. um, and um, so then we moved the following June. Yeah. And uh, up here. I, I don't think we were really planning to stick around too much. I don't know if that. Were we really like going to Oh, no, park we, were, okay. we were absolutely but here. <laughs> the So we, we spent like two weeks unpacking and, you know, kind of touring around and seeing the area. And then I was like, well, I've got a, you, you had a um, insurance job you were doing. Yeah, I was were, selling oops. investment stuff. and Yeah, that you were. I was an investment advisor for a couple of years. Yeah, so you could continue your job up here from right. Los Angeles. That was our bridge of income. 
but I had no job again. You know, I had my resume put together. So I went, there was a Montessori school in Olympia and we drove. And I remember it was, it was almost, it was this weekend because this is July 4th. I think I went on, it was like the Friday before July 4th weekend. And I stopped by, I remember it was bright and sunshiny. And I just walked in and dropped my resume on the front desk counter to somebody. And then a a man, and I went back to get in the car with you. That was the first place I ever applied was like, well, I'm going to try the only Montessori school there is. And in Olympia. Yeah. And then um, this gentleman came running out, ma'am, ma'am, do you really have eight years of experience? And they needed somebody right then. They were actually looking. And so I got out of the car and almost 20 years ago. I mean, like all all these things are like, yeah. It was right around special days. That's uh, really cool. 2003, and this year it's 2022. Yeah, pretty cool. So I ended up, you know, I got back out of the car, went back inside, and I got a little tour, met the owner, started working. Well, she said, come come like after the 4th of July weekend, come and stay a morning and see. So I did that and got a job with them, and except for a couple of breaks when we had the kids. Um, oh, and I, I, I've been there ever since. And then almost immediately... Because I remember I still had to go get a TB test. You know, you have to get a TB test when you're newly hired as a teacher. And I had just found out I was pregnant. And yeah, so <laughs> it almost happened as soon as we got here. Almost exactly <laughs> the hours. <laughs> she got pregnant. I was like, okay. I was just over the moon. We're doing this. <laughs> and I remember the, the nurses at the hospital wouldn't let me do the TB test being pregnant. And so I had to go in and tell my employer, like when I was, you know, minutes into the pregnancy that I was pregnant, not my plan, but that's how it worked out. And well, we wanted that though. I mean, we just didn't didn't mean it would would actually happen that fast. Yeah. We we thought we'd have a a good year of, you know, trying. Because we were both around 35 around the time. So yeah, I was still 34. Yeah. 34. Yeah. I had Cody when I was 35. But anyway, yeah. And then 16 months after Cody was born, then Tati was born. And so we had a perfect set, a little boy and little girl. And they are amazing people and love them more than anything. And yeah, so we're kind of back where we started. <laughs> I'm already thinking of them moving up and out. But yeah. So what um, what do you see ahead in this next chapter of our lives? Me? I, it's pretty simple. I, I mostly want to pursue Lifesaver. I had to put off Lifesaver for a good period of raising the kids because kids come first um, and I love them to death. But um, I've been, you know, really enjoying ramping up, writing my book, finishing my book, and then being able to build the website. And uh, my next step for that is um, kind of finish my website 1.0 version and then start getting into marketing, which I think could be fun. But I want to go kind of full bore into that because I... And pretty dumb about social media and stuff. And I think it'll be exciting. Anyway, so that's kind of my thing. But I'm also open to, once we're empty nesters, what does that open up for us in terms of uh, exploring? Not just doing my creative thing or you doing your creative thing, which are both really important, I think, to a fulfilling life. But also just exploring life again. Mm -hmm. Um, When you don't have to put somebody else's well-being first. Um, which you have to do when you have kids. It's been a tremendous, rich, fulfilling experience raising kids. But uh, at the same time, there is another part of life, which is, hey, maybe we can do some of those dreams we had when we were 17, 18, 
you know, maybe mm -hmm. if we can save up enough money, you know, maybe take a trip to Greece, you know, and eat under a vine-covered, mm -hmm. you know, trellis, mm -hmm. uh, or, you know, explore the world a little bit within our, our small means. But when you have kids, it's that's not always easy to do because you really have to make sure that the security of your your children are put first. But th that is an interesting question. And I don't think either of us have really <laughs> thought about it because the we're not empty nesters yet. And so mm -hmm. it's premature to really go there. But it will be an interesting question over the next few years. Well, I think as we're talking, especially with, with Tati, about potential majors and you know all the decisions she has to start making now about what size college and which college and, you know, um, all those things you, that go into choosing the next steps for her. That's got me thinking as it probably makes everybody think, you know, like, well, do I have other interests, you know, and, and that's one of the awesome things for me about Montessori, why it's been such a great fit is that you get to teach, you know, all the subject areas. I, I get to have a lot of outlets for um, all the things I'm interested in. And that's, Partly why it was hard for me to choose a career was because I had a million things I wanted to do. You know, I wanted to be a marine biologist and swim with humpbacks. I wanted to be an anthropologist and go dig around in, you know, Kenya. I wanted to do do a whole bunch of things. You know, maybe I'll go be a writer and sit by a pond and, you know, <laughs> all these different that's maybe a, I'll be a police officer. Maybe I'll be a psychologist. Yeah. And that that's actually an interesting point. Um, that's, that's something we have in common in terms of me with Lifesaver is that if you can find something that's an umbrella that kind of covers all of your interests, that's mm -hmm. like the best solution. The, all the things that fascinate you. Um, so like with Lifesaver, I could never pick like, am I supposed to be a, a photographer? Am I supposed to be a writer? Am I supposed to be... And I realized... I couldn't pick any of those because they were all too limiting mm -hmm. in terms of my full interests. And that I finally discovered my full interests involve value and beauty in life mm -hmm. um, and communicating that to people, which is not a set career path. You know, you, your high school counselor can't tell you, well, that's what you need to do because there's no job for that. But that's the interesting thing about finding your... your and kind of self-creating... Yeah, and, and finding your umbrella that covers the full dimensions of you, that's not an easy thing to do because you have to find what's underneath all that. That is the common thing that will be tapped into by a certain pursuit. Mm -hmm. It's like reading between the lines or underneath the lines. That's a difficult introspective process. And you found that in teaching for the past 28 years. And I discovered that in the late 90s. With the idea of Lifesaver, which I've really been pursuing over the past maybe five, ten years. But that, to me, is a fascinating thing of, you know, finding that thing. It's often not just one thing that you, on the surface level you would think of, but what is the combination of those interests that taps into those interests? Mm -hmm. Because we're not one-dimensional people, most of us. But, for example, you were saying, like, being a policeman, you know, well, in a sense, you're a policeman. Right. Um, <laughs> and a psychologist. And a detective. And a nurse, and a, um, yeah. You know, what makes this and child and... What makes this child tick? Mm -hmm. You know, how am I going to be able to communicate with this child mm -hmm. and teach them? And also, you know, there's some lifesaver stuff in there, too, mm -hmm. of, like, how can I also inspire this child mm -hmm. to not only learn, but to love learning and to love life? Mm-hmm. And then there's all the, the arts and crafts things, you know, the cute little things and 
creating little things with them. It touches on all of that, like you were saying. Yeah, I I really feel like I think we've both kind of hit the jackpot because between my teaching niche that I've found um, and being a parent um, and then having this, you know, land here where we have little hobby farm, you know, with some creatures. And that's I, one thing about you I think is crucial to your core is you're a very nurturing person. It really makes me happy. Yeah. But it's it's funny because I, I think about it sometimes with you, you're not a person who wants a lot of fussing over, you know, and um, so I think that's one good balance between us is that it I don't get too pulled into your needs, I guess, because, you know, you kind of like to do your independent things sometimes and take care of yourself. (laughs) And, and, um, and just like with parenting, I think we kind of find a middle between how, you know, we were both raised Mm -hmm. and which were kind of different in a lot of ways. And then like our personalities. So I think the, the kids get a good compromise in some of those areas or they hopefully get the the best of both of us. Yeah, I think that it's For good to part, have you know. two different perspectives as long as we're we're somewhat of a united right. front most of the right. time and but then we also learn from each other on the edges mm-hmm. too. But I I think you two finding your um name identifying the underlying principles that were pulling at you but you didn't know, you know, what to call your desire for your life. Um, and your, you know, what was your, pur- I remember you went years, um, you know, what's my purpose? What's going to be my purpose? And finally finding, okay, oh my gosh, you know, now I've got this, now instead of having, quote, nothing, you have this infinite mm-hmm. um, yeah, platform. platform. And that's already be, been so fulfilling to you, but it's, you know, you're just getting started. Mm-hmm. And I mean, you've done a lot, but there's, because yeah. it's infinite, there's so much to expand setting the groundwork but i'm really excited to see where that groundwork can go and it's you know that's the kind of fulfillment i've i've had all these years doing all these things and so you know life is good you know life has its sucky (laughs) parts for sure yeah not everything's you know sunshine and roses all the time but overall you know i'm i'm i feel so lucky so fortunate with everything that I've found, you know, in productive work and meaningful work. Um, so, you know, it's kind of once you taste something like that, that's so meaningful and rewarding, it's really hard to do anything mm-hmm. <laughs> that's not yeah, going to be as it rewarding really is. and meaningful. It really is. That's and really true. For me, there's like, there's not much more meaningful than, you know, being a parent and, and, and then kind of being a surrogate parent during the day to all these little girls, you mm-hmm. know, and, and all of that entails. And especially at this age, you know, when they're, I teach, you know, preschoolers and kindergartners mixed together. And that's such a formative foundational time yeah. in the life of a human. And, you know, so it's, I feel it's a great responsibility mm. yeah. and a great honor. So I've got to do it right. And I know I just really respond to that. I really love it. And one of the things I, I love seeing about you finding your thing uh, in teaching, which of course can change in the future, mm-hmm. but um, is it concretized the idea of because it's not always fun? No, <laughs> and it's in, fa- in fact, it's most often really stressful and difficult and tiring, exhausting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but that I love seeing it as a concretization of that principle of it's not just about enjoying life, it's about having meaning in life. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, definitely, you know, enjoy when you can. 
I'm not against happiness or enjoying, but but that anything you do is going to be often not particularly enjoyable if it's worthwhile because you're striving for something that's important. And in anything like that, if it's important to you, there's going to be certain standards and there's going to be just difficulties as part of life. But what gets you through, and I've seen this in you, is it's deeply meaningful to you Mm -hmm. on some level and it feeds some deep part of you, Mm -hmm. of your soul. And that's the kind of thing that I mean, obviously, you still have to look after yourself and you got to take care of yourself when you can, but it makes it a good use of your time alive. Yeah. Um, I, I think sometimes my my passion for it, I think overall it's it's a good thing, but I think it can be, I, I know it can be hard to be my assistant <laughs> because my standards can, not that I have high standards, I, I don't think they're unrealistic, but I, I know I can be intense. I'd like to think of myself as laid back, but I'm actually, I'm I'm not in some ways. Um, I'm pretty demanding. And I don't know. I Well, even then I can walk back, but I don't want to, you I, shouldn't I feel paint, like, paint yourself as, as, because there's a lot of sunshine in your approach to teaching. Um, I pour myself into it and it's hard when people around me some, you know, like if you just have a, a new assistant or something and they are not sure it's their career for them, they're just kind of doing it because right. they babysat their siblings when they were young, you know, and it's like, that's, there's nothing wrong with that, but it's, that person's coming from a different place and going a different place. And, you know, I want to run high intensity teaching kind of all the, not that it doesn't always look like that, but there's always a lot going on in my mind. It may not right. always be coming out of me. But I just want to clarify that it's not um, high intensity in the sense of like type A being presented to the kids. It's really a caring that not only do they learn, but that they feel good about life and they feel good about learning as a total package. Um, so you care and you get uptight inside yourself about these things, but the that's because you want to present this kind of sunshine feeling, I feel, mm. uh, about, for, for the kids, the sunshine feeling of the potential of life um, and and learning in life. And I, I think a lot of times I go, maybe not consciously, but um, I feel like that's, I'm going to cry, that's one of the best gifts my dad gave me, mm-hmm. was um, in times, you know, looking back as an adult on, you know, your childhood and Looking at, you know, once you become a parent, you look at your parents differently, um, much more, <laughs> mm-hmm. much more forgiving light. I always felt so safe and like the world was an amazing, sunny, you know, <laughs> place despite not, not all. I mean, people have, you know, things going on that are negative, but you have your bad days and bad times and tough times. But I felt so guided, so protected and so um, supported in t- whatever I wanted to do, and that the world and life were wonderful and amazing and waiting, you mm-hmm. know. And there's a big, and wonderful world. I just out have there. to step in. I think that's something you and I had in common mm-hmm. on a, a spiritual soul mm-hmm. level that I think that we connected on even back in high school. Mm-hmm. There was this sense of this world, the world as this open place to be explored and mm-hmm. to be rejoiced in. 
I don't think we could really explicitly state that at the time, but there was that kind of feeling that w- was a connection. And I, th- I think I saw in you, you know, one of the things that I felt like a kindred spirit was I felt like you were a, a dreamer, but also you were a doer. Right. I was probably more of a dreamer and not much of a doer. You know, I needed kicking sometimes to, you know, go take that step, you know, whereas you've been more disciplined about stuff like that. But I think that's something that when I'm in that, you know, when I'm in a space with the kids, you know, with, with our kids, but but with the students, I kind of just like when I'm in the flow, <laughs> sometimes, you know, when you find that mm-hmm. spot, which is, I remember in Flagstaff, there was this one time I was doing this little lesson and I kind of had this flow experience, which I realized later was, I mean, I guess when you're in the flow moment, you're not out of the moment because I also had a sort of a sense of watching myself mm-hmm. and, you know, being like, oh my gosh, <laughs> just this, like, this is it. <laughs> I love this so much. Um, and I was just, deliriously happy yeah. and um and i i think sometimes i just kind of get that like when i'm sitting here talking about it i i get the same goosebump feeling mm-hmm. that i i'm just kind of there in the moment of the world and life and we're humans you know mm-hmm. like i don't know i just want to impart that to the kid and the thing is they it's not me to them a lot of times it's them to me mm-hmm. because they're still in that childhood space where to yeah. them everything which is magical you know yeah. that every they're not jaded yeah their the world is still new. it is all amazing it's all open right they so many things at that age you know it's their first time ever of course the kids now learn so much they can help they're you to, so smart, to see the world that way they keep you in that space with them yeah. often yeah. Um, or they bring you there often during the day and i'm like that is I, I kind of joke to parents sometimes, you know, like, oh, I don't know how you can do this. I don't have the patience, you know. And I'm like, this is such a great gig yep. to be with little people who are, for the most part, most days, you know, so excited, so happy, so innocent, so quirky, so funny, so bright mm-hmm. and happy. And it's like, who doesn't want to hang out with <laughs> friends like that, you know? Well, <laughs> frankly, most people. <laughs> but that's what makes you... Uh, that's what makes it your special thing. I yeah. mean, that you exactly have that kind of personality and and soul that 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 fits with. I think it resonates with my my inner four year old or three year old. <laughs> yeah, which I love. I love that inner four year old. <laughs> I just really want to thank you for uh, joining me on my lifesaver podcast. You are my favorite person among other favorite people, but yeah, you're definitely my favorite. And I'm so glad we've spent the majority of our lives together and I look forward to the future. You're going to make me cry, but Good. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I've enjoyed it. And yeah, you're my favorite human to go through life with. And I'm so glad that we've stuck it out and weathered our storms and we get so much awesome sunshine together. And and we get to see what happens next. I can't wait. <laughs> <laughs> so it'll, it'll be good. Very fortunate person. Yep. Me too. Love you. Love you.